into our all-church read-through of the book of Acts. If you have been keeping up with the reading, this past week you read chapter 16 through 20. And if you are happen to be visiting with us today or you have not done the reading, I'm going to try to help you catch up real quick. <laughs> Acts is an amazing book, and it's one we don't really spend a whole lot of time in typically. It's the story of the early church following the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Jesus leaves the disciples, now called apostles, and all of his followers with the promise of something called the Holy Spirit. He told them to wait for the Holy Spirit. And so as all those believers are gathered together on a holiday called Pentecost, the Spirit is unleashed upon them. A mighty wind shakes the house where they are. Flames of fire appear all around them. And they start speaking languages they didn't know they could speak, causing the people who also speak those languages to take notice. Hearing the good news of Jesus Christ in their own tongue, that this risen one transforms lives, that he promises us a life after this one, and that because he lives we too shall live and that is the good news that we call the gospel and that was just the start of the exciting and miraculous things the Holy Spirit had in store for the hearts and lives of those followers of Jesus Acts reminds us over and over again and again and boy do we need the reminder that God's love is for everybody no exceptions and the story of Acts shows us the unstoppable power of the Holy Spirit and reveals God's love through amazing and exciting stories. There's angel visits and visions of Jesus, earthquakes that free people from prison. And we see how the Holy Spirit has no patience for the divisions and the labels that we humans just love to construct for ourselves. No, the Holy Spirit, she rains down grace and gifts on both Jewish and Gentile followers. And thousands upon thousands of new believers were baptized with the Holy Spirit just as Jesus promised they would be. Repenting of, turning away from old harmful ways, receiving and offering forgiveness. And because of that, their lives would never be the same. As we prepare for today's scripture reading, we'll notice that the story of Acts has shifted focus from Peter, who was one of Jesus' original disciples, to Paul. And Paul travels around and shares the story of Jesus and helps build communities of faith, also called churches. His pattern when he gets to a town is to go to the synagogue first. And he tries to convince his Jewish brothers and sisters that Jesus is the Messiah. 
And it appears that he may even have gotten in trouble for inserting the name of Jesus into some Old Testament writings. You might understand how that might upset some people. Then he gathers those who accept this good news and often loses his temper at those who don't and turns his attention to the non-Jewish or the Gentile folks in the town. Now just before the reading that Robin's about to share with us, Paul has had some pretty tough experiences in Thessalonica and in Athens. And he arrives in a city called Corinth where he meets a married couple named Priscilla and Aquila who will become good friends of his. While he's in Corinth, he gets a vision of Jesus who encourages him to stay. And he stays in Corinth for a year and a half. But when it's time for him to move on, he leaves and goes to Ephesus and he takes Priscilla and Aquila with him. And then he goes to check on some other churches and leaves the church in in Ephesus in the capable hands of Priscilla and Aquila just as another preacher comes into town. From the 18th chapter of Acts, here begins the reading. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they worked together. By trade, they were tent makers. Every Sabbath, he would argue in the synagogue and would try to convince Jews and Greeks. Now there came to Ephesus a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria. He was an eloquent man, well-versed in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with burning enthusiasm and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. And when he wished to cross over to Achaia, The believers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And on his arrival, he greatly helped those who through grace had become believers. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Messiah is Jesus. Here ends the reading. The word of God for the people of God. Will you pray with me? 
Holy God, may the words from my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you this day. Amen. Well, truth be told, I've never really liked Apollos. And it's not fair for me to say that or to feel that way because we don't really know much about him other than those scriptures that Robin just read. Now, later on, Paul would write a letter to the church in Corinth And we find out in that letter that there ends up being a division of Christians between those who follow Paul and those who follow Apollos. Now the scripture doesn't say one thing about whether Apollos instigated that in any way, but it also doesn't say that he didn't. At the end of that same letter, Paul says that he had asked Apollos to come visit the church in Corinth. And I'm going to quote Paul here. He says, He was not at all willing to come now. He will come when he has the opportunity. Maybe it's just me, but I feel like there's a little beef between Paul and Apollos. I feel like Paul's letting us in on that with that little passive-aggressive quip. I told him to visit y'all, but he couldn't come right now. But I think what really gets my goat about Apollos is the way he is described in the book of Acts. An eloquent man, well-versed in scripture, spoke with burning enthusiasm. He was probably good-looking too. (laughs) Not a hair out of place. One of those guys that can wear a linen shirt and it doesn't look like he just pulled it out of the glove compartment. And to top it off, Apollos was from Alexandria in Egypt. And Alexandria was very fancy and influential. It was known for its vast library. It was a center of learning and refinement, brimming with philosophers and academics. So it's pretty safe to assume that Apollos would be real smart and put together and confident And maybe a little intimidating. Have you ever had one of those folks in your life that just seems to be perfect? Or maybe you're one of those people. How do you do it? One of my friends says that we're all just still on the schoolyard playground. And I think that's right. Our childhood experiences just influence so much about the rest of our lives. I was always the kid whose shirt tail was out, missed a belt loop shoe untied and it seemed like all my classmates had a moderate level of acne and then I would get a great big zit on my nose on picture day (laughs) so to be fair to Apollos I have to admit that it is my own experiences combined with that little bit of shade that Paul throws at the end of 1 Corinthians mixed with the description of Apollos that has colored and manufactured my opinion about Apollos because I just know he's the kind of guy that would make me feel a little jealous and insecure. And that's why, and I'm not proud to admit this, but every time I hear this story, I get a little tinge of satisfaction that Mr. Smarty Pants got something wrong. (laughs) But luckily, Apollos had Priscilla and Aquila in his corner. I want to talk about them for a minute. This was a married couple exiled from Rome living in Corinth and making their living as tent makers. 
Paul worked right alongside them, uh, earning money to pay for his own expenses and to promote his ministry. It wasn't the most prestigious of jobs, and it seems like Priscilla and Aquila were pretty mobile. They left Athens and came to Corinth, and then in chapter 18, Paul asked them to go with him to Ephesus, and they just pack up and go with him as he asked. They were hard-working, devoted followers of Jesus, and they would eventually lead a house church of their own. Not only did Priscilla and Aquila know the ways of Jesus, but they knew the way to life. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, when Apollos came to town after Paul left, speaking boldly with burning enthusiasm in the synagogue, they were paying attention. And they realized that something was missing. The text says Apollos knew only the baptism of John. I don't know how that was reflected in his preaching. Maybe he knew the teachings of Jesus but didn't know about the resurrection. Or maybe he knew about the resurrection and didn't know about the Holy Spirit. Whatever it was he was missing, Priscilla and Aquila pulled him aside privately. And as the scripture says, explained it to him more accurately. It's also worth noting that in the telling of this story, Priscilla is listed first, which is a subtle indication from the writer of Acts that she took the lead in that conversation. And that's just another New Testament model of women in leadership in the church. So after this explanation that Priscilla and Aquila gave to Apollos, he was soon called to go preach somewhere else, and he was sent with the blessing of of the believers in Ephesus, and we're told that he greatly helped those who through grace had become believers. We got some stuff to unpack here. First of all, Priscilla and Aquila had the kindness and the compassion and the wisdom to pull Apollos aside to explain what was going on. I know pretty sure if this story took place in modern day somebody would have tweeted about it at Apollos preacher you don't know what you're talking about baptism of John is old news hashtag educate yourself (laughs) but no Priscilla and Aquila didn't do anything like that. They don't seem intimidated by the city boy or aware of any differences in their class They didn't set out to shame or humiliate Apollos because they wanted to help him be the very best he could be. For him to have all the tools necessary for him to live out the call that was placed upon his life and that he had so passionately accepted. And as for Apollos, and I know I've been having a little fun at his expense this morning, but I want to give him credit also Because he listened to Priscilla and Aquila. He accepted the intent of their instruction and the benefit of their knowledge. Because he understood that he needed what they were offering. He didn't know what he didn't know. He could have clapped back at them with a, Who do you think you are? And continue to share his popular and enthusiastic but incomplete message about Jesus but instead he received it gracefully 
He took it in. And he allowed it to strengthen his ministry and the faith of all those who would hear him preach. When one of us grows and is strengthened in the faith, it benefits all of us. Paul would later describe the church as one body with many parts, each with an important job to do and an important role to play. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 12. Suppose the foot says, I'm not a hand, so I don't belong to the body. Or the ear says, I'm not an eye, so I don't count. By saying this, they can't stop being part of the body. The parts of the body take care of one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part shares in its joy. You are the body of Christ. Each of you is a part of it. Friends, that is huge. Think about that for a minute. That we, together, make up the very body of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us has gifts and talents that we can use to take care of one another. And to take care of the world that God loves so much. Priscilla and Aquila had the gift of knowledge and encouragement. And Apollos had the gift of preaching and evangelizing. And all three of them were open to the movement of the Holy Spirit in their lives. To discern their actions. And to be in relationship with one another. To give and receive correction and growth for the good of the body of Christ. There's a lot of folks offering opinions these days and advice. But where is that advice coming from? And who's listening to it? Spirit-led counsel is different from ego-driven advice. And church, the more in line we are with Jesus, the better able we'll be to tell the difference. Is what we are saying, is what we are hearing and taking in, is what we are doing building up the body of Christ. As we grow in our faith, we learn to recognize the Spirit at work. And sometimes it's in the rushing wind of a passionate sermon by a fiery preacher. And sometimes it is in the barely perceptible breeze of a gentle pat on the shoulder by a perceptive friend in the faith. Hopefully, Christ is at the center of every community of faith. And in those communities, there are people with big jobs who make important decisions and whose names might be well known. And thanks be to God for those folks who hear the call and answer it. And there are also those that theologian Matt Skinner calls the saints around the edges 
folks like Priscilla and Aquila who serve in ways that people might not even notice. I've spent quite a bit of time this week thinking about and reflecting on those folks that I've known in my life, those saints around the edges. I've been thinking about Miss Martha from my church back home who you learned early on not to ask how she was doing because she'd tell you. But she could make a chicken pastry that would cure the flu. And I think about Mr. Jack, who tended to and took care of the church cemetery. There's a man at this church who I see outside my office window just about every week. He goes to the memorial garden and cleans the leaves out of the Jesus fountain. And he puts water up here for the worship leaders on Sundays. There's folks who come in and pick up the bulletins after worship and go around and water plants and folks who make flower arrangements to take to the hospital and folks who prepare communion and folks who make sandwiches for the night shelter. I could go on and on. For all the folks in every community of faith who make the casseroles and visit the homebound and the hospitals, who send notes and pray with all their might, Without praise or recognition, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for the church, the body of Christ of which we are all an important part. Together, let's keep building this community of faith into the image of Christ himself. Living out our call to serve, whatever that may look like with all humility and gentleness, patience, and love. May it be so. Amen. Tell you about the chapter one. The Lord God work was just begun. Stop and let me tell you about the chapter two. When the Lord had written his Bible through. Stop and let me tell you about chapter three. When the Lord God died on
tell you about the chapter four. When the Lord God visit among the poor. Stop and let me tell you about the chapter five. When the Lord God brought the dead alive. Let me tell you about the, the six. He went to Jerusalem and he I'm so grateful for Shannon's reminder today that the Spirit is always about unity. The power of the Spirit 
helps us to recognize where the divisions are, the fault lines. How wonderful it is that after being fed in so many ways by this worship experience, we end the service at this table, participating in the meal where Jesus is the host, and we are guests, and everyone is welcome. We come to this table remembering the night that Jesus gathered with his disciples in the upper room. He took the bread that night and gave thanks for it and broke it and gave it to them and said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. And after they had finished eating, Jesus took the cup, the cup and blessed it and gave it to them and said, drink this all. All are welcome to drink this cup. This is the new covenant poured out in my love. Each time we come to the table, each time we break bread and share the cup together, united, we are prepared for the work of the kingdom. Let us pray. We join with Christians who since the earliest days of the church, the days of Peter and Paul and Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos, since those folks gathered in worship and shared the bread and the cup in memory of Jesus' last meal, this ritual unites us with them and with all who have gathered since. In gratitude, we pray. Amen. <laughs> 